Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the show. Today, I'm joined by Sam Tielemans, and he is a licensed marriage and family therapist. And he, I actually, he showed up on my feed because I, I search quit porn and no fab quite a lot. And his face came up as a person who is talking a lot about the studies and science on why you should maybe not watch porn and and why maybe you should tell your wife about not about watching porn, etc. And so I was just very excited to have him on. Thanks for coming on, Sam. Thank you for having me. I'm, I really appreciate the time. Yeah, I'm looking forward to having a good, good conversation with you. For sure. So I'm curious. Well, when you first were wanting to become a therapist, did you realize that you wanted to become a therapist that sp specifically focuses on porn? Or is that not even your main focus? I guess tell me your main focus and tell me how you decided that you wanted to be a therapist in the beginning. Yeah, of course. So I have always liked talking to people and people would come, like friends would come to me with like relationship problems or I don't know. I seem to just be somebody that people turn to. So I just, I enjoyed having those talks with them. And then I found out like you could actually do this for a living and get trained and actually know what you're talking about instead of, you know, giving advice and support and all that's great. But there's ways to help people actually work through their problems and find resolution and closure. And so I thought, yeah, it'd be cool. So I, I ended up starting this path of counseling. And so I was in school and while I was in grad school, I had a really good friend open up to me and say that he struggled with pornography and he tried everything under the sun. He could literally think of, he tried everything that somebody told him to do and he could not overcome it. He'd been struggling for his whole life. And when he was having that conversation with me, I had the thought that I should learn how to treat this. And I'm religious, so I'm, I'm Christian. And I, the thought was I should learn how to treat this because I'm, I'm sure I'm going to see this a lot in the church. And so I thought, okay, like I'm, you know, I, I I don't, of course, being, I live in Las Vegas, so like there's porn on billboards and people hand it out on the strip and like it's everywhere, right? So I've been exposed to it sure. when I was young. I never struggled with an addiction though. But when my friend opened up and shared that he'd struggled, I thought, okay, I should, you know, I might as well just learn how to treat this too. And I just delved into this world where there's so many good people who are struggling with this. And now that we understand more about the science and how to overcome habits and patterns and like there's, there's actual tools that help people break free. And so over the course of my studies. And then after I graduated, I just really made this my specialty to help people break free from this and also repair their relationship. Uh, because the marriage is also very much uh, damaged. The trust is broken. There's often deception and lies and it just causes a lot of pain. And so, yeah, I've spent my career finding the best ways to know how to help people. And I just, I love the work that I do. Wow. Very noble of you to even though you might not have struggled with it specifically, you saw a friend and you saw like, wow, even in the church, potentially there's a lot of people that struggle as someone who struggled from a young age. I, I totally feel for your friend. Like even though logistically it doesn't even make any sense. Why in the world am I addicted to watching someone do that? Like, why is that yeah. turning me on? It's ruining yeah. the intimacy with my girlfriend. Like, why is that the case? And like, even though I asked those questions, I still couldn't quit, but I found out that I could quit if I just put my mind to it and talk it, talk about it enough. But yeah, really amazing that you're able to, well, notice that that's such a big problem. And I guess what, what would you say is like a first step for someone that's listening that like, they know they have this problem and they're like, man, what's my first step? Like, is it admission to themselves? Is it admitting to their wife? Like, what do you think is the good first step along this process? Yeah, I think it's a great question. So when I talk to people, so I've got a podcast and the podcast is about helping couples overcome addiction. And so I use the word addiction, but I, I guess I use it really loosely because I'm not super concerned with the verbiage, whether it's an addiction or a habit or a pattern. There's a couple different ways to approach this. There's like a really traditional way, which is it's like the 12 step. You admit that you're an addict and you're powerless and you're, you know, you're going to deal with this for the rest of your life. And so without having struggled personally, I just thought like that was my original training when I was back in like 2012. It was like the very much this is this is the struggle and this is you have to manage your temptations. And so I thought like, OK, like I guess this is how you do it. And so about after about a year of doing groups with people, we would have the same conversations every single week and I would give them like ideas and tools and stuff. And then they'd come back and say, like, I, you know, I'm still struggling. I just thought there's got to be a better way to do this. And so after going to tons of seminars and trainings and like I'm looking for every tool I possibly can find to help people, I figured out there's a different way to do this that doesn't involve saying that you're powerless. It doesn't involve having to use willpower and discipline. It's, it's a totally different approach. Instead of managing the temptation, my, my whole goal, so you're going back to your question, what's the first step? 
is to help people understand what are their triggers? What's driving this? Because if they're on the spectrum of addiction, whether it's like, again, habit or a compulsion or like a full on addiction, it's all coming from the same place. There's some underlying reason why they're turning to it. And if they don't know what that is, and if they're trying to stop, because some people don't care and they just, they watch it. It's not that big of a deal to them. But the people that I work with, they want to overcome this and they just don't know how. And so step number one is to figure out what is underneath this, what's driving it, what are your triggers? Because once you understand what those things are, then you can craft a plan to address those things directly instead of just trying to will yourself through temptation or try to avoid triggering situations. The goal is to really understand yourself better because once you do, that maps the path out of that spiral because the triggers have so much information. And yeah, we can talk more about that as well, but I think that's the first step is really help people get clear about why they're doing it in the first place. Sure. Yeah, like whether it's uh you know, you're scrolling on your phone alone in your room cuz you're bored or it's you're watching that show that you maybe shouldn't cuz there's too many, you know, triggers on it or your I'm just those are probably two big ones at least in my experience and like I've kind of been thinking like there's like why are you so like why have you put yourself in that position? Oh, because I'm bored. Why are you bored? Well, because I don't really have anything else going on in my life. Or like you normally yeah. can get to a root of like, why is this porn occurring? It's not because you just really love watching porn. It's like it's maybe because, you know, you're placing it for a feeling of loneliness, sadness, uh, missing human connection, boredom. I'm just trying me myself as a 22 year old trying to figure out why was it such a problem for me and I'm, I'm try- I've helped some people along the path of like, you know, understand your addiction and why is it in it or not addiction, understand your trigger and why is this trigger coming to you in this moment? How can you change your environment? How can you change the way that you're going to act the next time this environment comes up? Like, yeah, I'm just, I'm That's thinking exactly out loud. Yeah. Right. That's exactly right. I believe the same thing. And what I find is the people who are most successful don't just approach a situation, slip up, just tell themselves I'm going to do better next time or they recommit or promise to themselves like, okay, I'm really going to try harder. The answer isn't to try harder. The answer is to figure out how do you do it differently? Mm-hmm. Because if you just keep trying harder, you're not addressing why it's happening in the first place. You're just getting triggered. Most people get triggered by the same thing over and over again and they don't develop a plan. They don't have any awareness. They don't, they can't really address it. What, what's on that deeper level until you start to pay attention to and look for that. Because once you do, like you said, like that's how people get out of it. Cause if they're bored, then there's a, a way to resolve that. If there's loneliness, again, there's connections, the antidote. Mm-hmm. Uh, if people are stressed, again, there's ways to counteract the stress. So there's so many different tools that people have that are available once they understand what the triggers actually are. Yeah, no, it's a great point. It's, yeah, it's interesting because like, I always see it as like one of the most interesting addictions ever because it's not like cocaine where you have to drive to the street in the bad part of town and then you know go to a physical location it's not like in the 60s where you had to go to the store and pick up a magazine it's like now it's so accessible and that accessibility in my opinion is like what makes it really easy for people to become addicted like the atomic habits book is always talking like make a habit really easy and if a habit is easy you'll do it porn happens to be incredibly easy habit and so like making it harder at least like I don't know. I'm not a huge fan of like putting a blocker on my phone because then I'm like almost telling myself, well, if you had a different phone, you could watch. And then like I play this game with myself of like, oh, get onto another computer. But if I'm able to like, I don't know, put like I have notes on my phone and I have sticky notes on my wall and I just, I don't know, I have different strategies, but I'm, I'm just talking out loud, but it's so crazy how easy of an addiction it is for people. And, but like, like I'm just curious, like, do you feel like there's hope for people? Like, have you seen a lot of success in getting people to quit? Like, is there a, is there a golden path out of this? Do you think? Of course, I got hundred percent believe that people can 100% overcome this. Cause again, this is the difference between the approach that I really like versus the more traditional one, which says that once an addict, always an addict. Oh, sure. You're going to struggle with this forever and you just have to manage this. I just, I completely disagree with that. Cause I've mm. seen so many people break through once they understand what's driving this, like, I don't know, nobody says this about any other, like if somebody struggles with smoking, let's say, you don't identify as like an addict to cigarettes. You don't, you don't describe yourself as like, I'm just a smoker. Once you've quit, 
you identify as a non-smoker. It's For like, sure. hey, do you want a cigarette? It's like, no, I don't smoke. Mm-hmm. Versus like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm a recovering addict and this is going to be something to I battle forever. <laughs> yeah, like, I just, I don't, like in that type of, um, in that type of an understanding, I don't feel like there is a ton of hope because it's just something you have to get better at managing versus a new way of looking at it, which is you can overcome this and there's nothing wrong with you. You've just conditioned yourself to respond to these triggers in this type of a way, which you can unlearn and learn how to do it differently. So yeah, I see lots of people break through and leave this behind them without it affecting their sexuality too, because the, the goal isn't to just like strip yourself of that energy because that's there for a reason. You just want to act on the energy or channel the energy into an outlet that feels congruent with your values, uh, an outlet that feels appropriate, an outlet that, that uh, the reason why it's designed, right, is to build your relationship, obviously for procreation at the fundamental level, right? That's the drive within us all, but really it's a, it, it enhances a relationship. So if you take that out of that context, it's just not good for you. There's a ton of interesting research now that's coming out that uh, Dr. Andrew Huberman talks mm. a lot about. He's on Instagram. He's got tons of like really, really good interviews. And he just talks about how it's just not good for our, our dopamine pathways. If we flood our dopamine system, it affects our baseline. It affects our mood. It affects our ability to focus and be productive. Like There's just lots of negative impacts that it has just because it floods your dopamine. You take morality out of it. right? I, th- I think the porn industry facilitates trafficking. It facilitates so many negative things, you know, abuse of women. Like it's just, I I personally just think it's bad all around. But Mm -hmm. if you take any morality out of it, again, you talk to Dr. Huberman and and he talks about how it's just not good for the brain. Any flood of dopamine that you can achieve without any prior work is not good for you. And so I think this is, like you said, it's so accessible. It's so easy for people to to find it's free. You can look it up with two clicks of a button on your phone. It's just, it's just not good for us as people. And I think more and more are talking about this and the problem that it is, which I think is inspiring a lot of people to get, get rid of it. And the more they do, the more fulfilled they feel like their life becomes because they're not just like continually being depleted and feeling empty and feeling guilty and ashamed and affecting their relationships. I just, yeah, I feel like there's so much good that comes from breaking out of this pattern for sure. Yeah, I I remember hearing Huberman explain it and he explains it well where it's like, you know, you're flooding your brain with so much dopamine and then afterwards you actually don't go to baseline. You're like plummeting below Below it and then it's like, oh, that doesn't sound good. I don't even fully know what that means, but I could totally see afterwards that I'm just feeling so down in the dumps. I'm ashamed and I feel as if I have to hide parts of myself so I'm not even like proud of who I am. I feel like I have to be deceitful and kind of hidden and like I just all of these things. It's it's just not. It's not, not yeah, good. it doesn't. It affects us for sure. Just to speak to what you're saying, because the idea of again your your dopamine spikes, which is this like, it's it's the chemical or it's the endorphin that's released for it, it. It inspires you and prompts you. It's motivating you to some kind of an action, and so it feels good, right? If you think about it in terms of like. I don't know, uh, early man type of a, mm. a, a, a scenario, right? It's, it's, you see, you're like, let's say you're out hunting and you see the trail, you get a spike of dopamine. It's like, I'm on the right trail. I'm going to pursue this because it's food or it's shelter or it's water. You get a spike of dopamine to give you energy and you get adrenaline and there's this like boost that it gives you. So it's there for a reason. And then once you catch the thing that it rewards you of like, oh, that effort that I put in, I got this benefit. It just trains you that that's how you find, again, whatever your needs are. And sex is no different, right? There's dopamine. There's feel-good chemicals for obvious reasons, right? It's like procreation, and it's the way that our species is designed to perpetuate itself. And so there's rewards related to that. But the more you get stuck in that pattern and you link it to a screen and you link it to masturbation, you do this alone, again, so what he talks about is the dopamine will spike and then it crashes below baseline, which means... Uh, pain and pleasure are processed in the same part of the brain. He says they're like a teeter-totter. I feel like the science is really important because it helps people understand what's going on and why does this happen. And it helps to, I think for a lot of people, provide motivation to like, this isn't good. I got to get out of this pattern. So it's like a teeter-totter. So when when pleasure spikes, he says that there's going to be an opposite equal reaction where the pain, Mm. it has to, our brain is searching for homeostasis. And so if you spike it with a, a, a bunch of dopamine, the brain will counteract that with a, a level of pain or emptiness, which is what he talks about. When people, even if you're not watching porn, you can just be like scrolling social media 
And the more you scroll, the more sometimes you'll just feel like, why am I doing this? This doesn't benefit me, but you're kind of in this trance and you feel just kind of lost and empty, but you keep scrolling. He says that's like when the dopamine has spiked and then depleted, that's the experience that you have. You just feel empty. It's like, blah, why am I doing this? This doesn't feel good. Yet you stay there because, again, the brain, you've been conditioned to keep looking at this thing in order to find some relief. But the way that it processes in the brain, when you when you flood it with dopamine, you just end up feeling empty on the other side, which, again, is a part of why people get lost in the spiral. What was the source of something feeling good becomes a source of not feeling good. So you continually just kind of get lost in that hamster wheel. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I like, it's crazy. Yeah. Like I like what that you think about it from like a evolutionary perspective where it's like, you have to put in quite a bit of work in order to a get some food or B, you know, attract a woman that's high quality and be able to procreate like nowadays yep yep, you can just click a few buttons or press a button and then have food come to your door like like it's almost as if comfort and ease are like raised to a high level when in reality sometimes you have to put in some hard work for you to actually feel fulfilled in life and you know i think it i'm it's interesting that you say you're a Christian. I am too, for the most part. Like I grew up in a Christian community and I really appreciate what Christianity has to offer. And like, I feel like, you know, the Bible sometimes tells us that like life isn't supposed to be easy. You know, easy things or nothing good comes easy. Sometimes you have to take the narrow route that's hard. That's going to be filled with challenges for you to actually reach fulfillment or have a closer relationship with God or know be closer to what jesus was in some sense and like but if you're just taking the shortcut the easy route each time you're you might get those quick hits of dopamine but you're not going to be fulfilled over the long term and you're not you're probably your character is probably not going to be that great at like delayed gratification you're going to become impatient irritable when you don't get that quick fix and so yeah as a person who's trying to like build character and be a leader to other men it's like i'm seeing that just taking these shortcuts is not the best path. You got to take the long road. That's hard sometimes. I agree. I think that's such an important part of us ultimately fulfilling our purpose, our mission, whatever that is, finding fulfillment, achieving our goals, becoming who we were meant to be, feeling good about what we're doing. All that comes through hard work again. And it's not easy. It's not comfortable, which is why I think, again, this is like, it's a multi-billion dollar industry for a reason. People just get lost in this trap and start to feel good when they get this chemical release, but it is so it undercuts who they can become because they're training themselves to get flooded with dopamine and with these rewards without doing any work. So when work is required, we're not used to that. So it's like, ah, oh, I don't want to do that. It's too heavy. It's too overwhelming. It's too stressful. So then you don't. And then by not doing the task, not accomplishing the goal, it just, it just, you drift further away from the person who really you were meant to be. For sure. Yeah, it's well said. And I'm curious, like, are a lot of the people that you work with, are they married? Is that like a typical, I guess, persona of person that works with you? Yeah, I think, I mean, there's a ton of single guys who struggle with this, obviously, but a lot of guys that reach out to me, they are married. Sure. Because I focus a lot on the relationship side of it too, which... I think it's just as important because even if somebody, a man or a husband or whoever is able to overcome this, their relationship, it's almost like for so many women, when they find out that their husband struggles with this, it's as if you're in a car crash and both people are injured and it redefines the relationship, right? So even if the husband gets out, he gets the help that he needs, he goes to the hospital, you know, everything's all good. She's still not getting the attention that she needs in many, many cases. And Time is not one of those things that heals this. It needs to be dealt with directly and trust needs to be rebuilt, which doesn't happen just through time. Oftentimes their intimacy is damaged. Their ability to communicate is impaired. Like there's lots of negative consequences to when a woman finds out that her husband's struggling with this. And so, yeah, I work a lot with the relationship side of things to make sure that they, the women and the the relationship gets the help that it needs as well. Sure. What would you say is a typical, I guess, phrase or like, word of affirmation that you give to to a wife who's like you know struggling because her husband has you know this addiction this habit this pattern like you say like what do you feel like is a is a good comforting thing to say like things i've thought of are like well most men hide this from their wives you 
having a husband that is actually honest and wanting to fix the problem like that he's already ahead of most men and like i'm just curious what like when you're talking to women like what do you find to be the best comfort or best maybe science that you give them or you know words of affirmation when they're going through this hard problem because like you said it's not just the men that are really struggling it's the women that don't feel appreciated don't feel loved don't feel as if they're enough yeah it's tough so the thing that i would say to women whose husbands are struggling with pornography is number one to know that there there absolutely is hope as difficult as this road feels there's hope to get out of this there's hope for him to heal There's hope for you to heal and getting education is one of the most important first steps that you can do because the more you understand about pornography addiction or a habit, when people are caught in the spiral, the more you understand this, the more hope you feel because there actually feels like a way out. If you don't understand this and your husband or your spouse, or your partner tells you, I'm not going to do this again. And then he does. It's, it just, it, it leaves you feeling even more hopeless because you thought it was going to be different this time. And he said it would be different, but it's not. The key is to get education, to get the right tools, because once you have those things, you can actually start to see a difference. Sure. And maybe once they have the education, they're able to help the partner instead of looking in from a view of like, maybe if they're a Christian, like, oh, my husband is ungodly, or maybe just from a secular view, oh, my husband is just unloyal, or like, maybe they're actually able to understand what the biological mechanisms are occurring. Like, maybe they're able to understand that. Well, him watching is not saying to me that I'm not enough. It's it's that he has a you know, he has a trigger and he has a bad response to a trigger that needs to be updated. Like if they're able to maybe understand that, maybe there's less maybe a little less pain between them. I'm just guessing maybe what you You're right. That's a big part of it cuz like you said, once a wife understands that when he's triggered, he's developed a conditioned unhealthy response to it, once she understands that it's easier for her to not take it as personally because so it's like so many women will take that on themselves and think I'm not enough. I'm inadequate. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not sexy enough. Sure. None of that is true. That's not why he turns to it. He's not unhappy with her. So he turns to it. He's just learned this conditioned patterned response that when he gets triggered, his brain is, he's taught his brain, he's conditioned his brain to turn to that outlet. So understanding that allows there to be some hope that that can change and it helps her to start to heal as well because so often, again, many women just, they, they do take it personal, which I understand why. It makes sense why they would. But getting that education and understanding this helps them to not feel so bad or feel so heavy or responsible for it. Sure. Yeah, that's really well said. And like I'm, I'm curious, like just from like a logistical perspective, like it's, if someone is watching porn, it's probably best that they tell their wife – but if they're a person who has a, a true habit that they've formed over the period of many years, I've found that sometimes instead of just explaining to your significant other, woman, etc., every time you have a problem, maybe it's going to someone like you or going to someone who is like a mentor or a therapist or a coach or a counselor, any of the above, do you feel like it's sometimes better to go to them instead of the wife every time? Or do you feel like every time they fail, they should go to their partner to like have that full honesty? Yeah, that's a great question. I think there's a lot of power when a man tells his spouse or girlfriend when he struggles, because most of the time a woman wants to know. And one of the reasons why it's so traumatic for them is because there's so much secrecy and deception around this. So the more forthcoming he is, the more secure she can feel. Because so many women will play the worst case scenario in their mind when so often what's happening is different than what she's imagining it to be. If he can tell her this is what's happening, this is the scope, this is the extent, this is why, it helps to quiet some of the anxiety that she feels wondering. Because... If she doesn't understand what he does or why he does this, then everything becomes a trigger. They go out to a restaurant and he sees an attractive woman there at the restaurant, let's say, Mm -hmm. or they're at the pool or they're, you know, at the grocery store. Everybody feels like a threat when she doesn't understand the extent or the scope of why he's struggling. So the more forthcoming he can be, the more that allows the relationship to have a platform of trust because you can build trust by telling your spouse, hey, I'm struggling or I did, I, I slipped. And this is why this is what I'm going to do about it. That provides a sense of security because she can start to trust if he struggles, he's going to tell me. 
I don't need to snoop through his phone. Snoop is not even the right word because no woman wants to even do that. I don't need to you know, go searching through his phone. I don't need to be asking the right question. And if I don't ask the right question, I don't get the truth. She can be released of that responsibility because that's not hers in the first place. She doesn't want to be doing that. So the more forthcoming he can be, the better. So I, I think that, yeah, most women want more information, not less. So if you're trying to restore your relationship, that's typically the best route. Yeah, I would have to agree. I, yeah, my experiences I've watched for 10 years over the past year, I've figured out that I can stop watching and it's been good, but I had a previous girlfriend that was honestly broke up with me because it was such a problem that kind of catapulted me to realize how big of a problem I really had. And that's kind of a little personal story, but I noticed like I'm seeing what those explanations that you're giving. I'm like, man, I was living through that. Like I wasn't honest all the time because I didn't want her to feel crushed, but I've noticed that as you are more honest and, you know, currently with my girlfriend, she knows that I'm like, I'm talking about porn on the regular with men and I'm like, well, the reason I'm doing this is because I want to be more open and honest with everyone so that I like now I have like 50 people that hold me accountable. Like then it's like if I have that trigger, then it's like I think of all the people that I'm like trying to help and then it's like, oh, okay, yeah, I I shouldn't watch and I won't. I'm not a porn watcher. I'm I am a person who doesn't watch porn and who helps people not watch porn. That's me. I'm Harley. And like I've identified it, but like I can totally see how people really find it so difficult to explain it to their woman, maybe especially for the first time. But but yeah, Yeah. which I can empathize with the guys like it's like you said, the, the biggest fear or concern they have in sharing with their spouse or their girlfriend is they don't want to hurt her. And they know that if if he were to slip back into that old pattern, it's going to hurt her. So it makes sense why he would want to keep that to himself. It makes sense why he would you know want to avoid that conversation with her. But the reality is that at, like literally 100 out of 100 times, I've heard a woman say that the thing that hurts more than the pornography itself is the deception, is the lying. And when men start to understand that that's really the bigger problem, for so many women that I work with, they're like, I don't love it when he, if he slips. Like, of course, I don't like that, but I can work with that if he's honest. If he's not honest, I have nothing I can work with because I have it, it undermines everything he says. Because so often, again, a lot of guys that I work with, they'll do what's called a staggered disclosure hmm. where they'll tell a little bit of, you know, they'll, tell, they'll drip out a little truth. And she's like, okay, that makes sense. And he says, that's it, I promise. And then a month later, something else comes out. He's like, this really is it. I promise there's nothing more. So it's staggered and it's kind of piece by piece, which makes it impossible for her to believe anything he says, even if he's telling the truth, because there's been so many moments where he said, this is it. And it really wasn't. It makes it so difficult for her to move forward. So when you can share the truth and say that I'm struggling with this, but I'm committed to making sure I overcome this, she can work with that. It's a scary conversation to have, but every time I've seen a husband do that, the results are way more positive than if he were to just try to minimize it and avoid it. Because the reality is that there's only two ways to handle this. Number one, you either confess or number two, you get caught because it will always come out. So many women can feel when something's off. They might not be able to put their finger on why, but eventually it will come out and the, the coming out of it without him revealing it himself causes way more damage than the behavior ever does. Yeah, that's really well said. It's like, I'm kind of a big fan of Peterson and he's like, he's like, he's a therapist, counselor, yep. psychologist yep. as well. And he was like, one thing I learned is that, you know, no matter what, like you'll never get away with anything. Maybe it will be later down the road, but at the end of the day, it will come back to bite you. And I find that to be really true in regards to this topic. Like, oh, I'm not wanting to explain this to her now, but it's like, well, you're just delaying the problem and the problem is now growing on you. And that's, so that's yeah. a big problem. And yeah. Yeah, like I'm now to... you're dealing with two problems. Exactly, That's right. exactly. The, the two problems, it's the behavior, which of course causes damage. But secondly, now she doesn't trust anything you say. And that can be an even bigger hurdle to cross. It's possible to do still. It just makes it harder. It's just more, you know, it's just more steps now, which is fine, right? It's worth going through the steps. But again, for anybody who's listening, if you're contemplating, like, should I tell her? The answer is yes, because eventually it comes out and now you've got to deal with two issues, which is the trust and trying to describe and overcome this problem. Sure. 
And from what I've kind of seen with some of my male friends and some of my female friends, I've kind of noticed that men are sometimes less emotionally intelligent than women. Like they, they might not express their feelings as much, whereas women are maybe better at that expression and maybe even better at tapping into, well, if their man isn't being honest or if their man is feeling off. Like it seems like, I think you said it well where it's like, Women can kind of feel if it's off, like, so hiding it is not going to work. She's going <laughs> to be saying, like, there's something wrong. And, like, I don't know. I, one of my big messages to people is, like, be vulnerable with people in general. And I think it kind of all ties in with this where it's, like, your woman is going to appreciate it if you're vulnerable because then she can feel the honesty. Even if it's so difficult, that honest vulnerability is ten times better than the the deceit and pretending it as if you're okay. And, Yeah. It's true. I, you know, when you said that, I thought about a client that I remember working with. This was years ago. And the husband had an affair. And of course, it just it devastated his wife. And the affair partner worked with him at the same agency, the same you know clinic or whatever he was doing for work. And so they came up with an agreement that he wasn't going to have any other conversations with this affair partner that wasn't absolutely necessary to accomplish the task they were doing at work. So no personal stuff, no like how you doings, all that was cut off other than what they had to talk about while they were at work. And so he was doing well with this and he, the relationship ended with the affair partner. And then there was one week where as he was leaving, the girl came up to him and was like, Hey, how you doing? Like, what are you doing this weekend? And he answered it very briefly. He's just like, oh, you know, things are fine. You know, we're going to be going to dinner or something. He said some little short thing and then he excused himself. And then when he came in, he got, he got home. And as soon as he walked in the door, his wife looked at him and said, what happened? And he's like, what do you mean? She's like, something happened. Something's off. What went on? And so wow. in a split second, she knew that something was different because he had this like anxious energy about him. Oh, for sure. He didn't say anything inappropriate, right? He didn't like, he wasn't trying to spark the relationship again with this other person, but he did violate the agreement that they had, which was he had a short little conversation, which was still like out of the bounds of what they discussed. As a result of that, the moment he stepped in the door, she could tell something was wrong. And so he told her, he said, this is what happened. This is, you know, the, the, this is how it all played out and I need to do better. I need to make sure that I'm clearer with her. I'm going to send her a message. I'm going to send her an email or, you know, he came up with a plan of how to address that. So it wouldn't keep happening, but it just goes to show you how intuitive women are. I think people in general, right? The, we, we have this ability to, we have a perceptive or like a keen sense of when something feels off, you know, or not. And we obviously don't have a crystal ball. We don't always know when somebody's lying, but there is an energy with, deception that people just women in particular pick up on that and so it, there's no point in hiding it because they can tell something's off and just by hiding it you're you're avoiding you know you're just delaying the consequences and like you said earlier it's just it's compounding it's getting worse for sure yeah that's well said that's an interesting story about how like even just a small shift can like make her like you know raise her like her question mark like huh and yeah, yeah she could I, tell I, I, I know i felt that before like I'm, yep. Yeah. And I was also curious, like you said in the beginning that you said that this actually wasn't as much of a problem for you. And growing up, even in Las Vegas, where, you know, there's a lot of billboards and all kinds of propaganda about this. Like, I'm curious, what were your strategies growing up? Like, if you grew up in Las Vegas, like, how did you avoid this as a problem? Or was it ever a problem at all? Yeah, that's a good question. So yeah, as a kid, like being curious, like a teenager, I'm curious. And so I'd look some things up. It was more like pictures occasionally. But like, for me, like, honestly, the biggest uh, factor that influenced me to not delve into it is like, it was fear. Mm. So it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't coming from this place of like, I've got this figured out. And this isn't good for me. Like, I was just scared. Like I, I hated feeling guilty. I have a like, ultra sensitive conscience. And so anytime I did look something up, I felt horrible about it. And so I wanted to stay away from that. And I had a friend group who was like, they joke around about it. It wasn't that big of a deal to them, but I was just, I hated feeling guilt. So it was more of like this negative motivation instead of what it is now, which is I, I like how I feel. I like the peace I feel. I like knowing I'm on solid ground. My wife can pick up my phone at any time and I'm not sweating bullets because like my history and I just sure. feel way, way better knowing I'm not involved with any of that. That's on one level. And then number two, 
again, it's it's such a source of uh, it, it's a, it just depletes our energy, right? It depletes our focus. It depletes our dopamine. It just makes us feel empty. So I just I don't like how that feels, and so that's that's what my motivation is now. But yeah, when I was younger, it's like I just hated feeling guilty. I just I'm too sensitive. Man, that's really amazing to hear. <laughs> like I have a pretty in tune conscious. It seems as well. Like I I hate lying, and I I'm very open with people, and like I've always kind of been just a open book kind of guy. But I think because I I fell upon it at such a young age. It just became a conditioned habit that I kind of did. And like the morality of it, it like it was a habit that was built before my morality even developed in some sense. Like I wasn't even aware of what feeling bad fully was back when I was 10, 11. And it just kind of like, I don't know. So I'm just, it's, I'm very glad that it, you never really fell into that trap. And I was also curious, like what does your wife think of you being such a, role model for men like i'm sure she looks up to you and respects you heavily just because of your ability to talk on it and like you are a person that she can truly trust like i'm just curious yeah i mean i i think it really just provides a such a strong foundation when there's honesty when there's trust and when you have that foundation you can work through anything like as many differences as she and I have, we're just we're just different people. For sure. Uh, as many we just see the world differently, we operate differently. But there's space for that on a foundation of trust. And when she knows that her best interest, like that's that's the that's a priority for me, and mine is for her. Again, there it just creates a space where we can feel connected to each other. We can feel close. We can be happy because we know that there's no wedge between us. Which I think for so many couples there is. Not that, again, so many husbands, so many men, they don't want this a part of their life, but because they don't know how to get out of it, it just, it creates guilt and shame for them. It creates a wedge in their relationship. And so without this, this is a part of why I'm like, so, uh, like I want so much to help couples too, because that's the center of our society is families. And so many people are getting divorced because of this issue and if I can give people the tools and direction that they need to, to have a, like a, an intact family, to raise their kids in a home with two parents in the household, which is more uncommon now than it is common. Like it's the stats are, it's sad, right? And I, no judgment on people who get divorced. I, I get it. It's tough. Marriage is really, really tough. But if we can avoid a divorce because of this reason, like mm -hmm. that's what I want to have happen because kids need the influence of both parents. And while being divorced, yes, you can have an influence on your kids still. But it's just studies show that it's better. It's more optimal. And so having a strong relationship is the foundation of our society. And I think people are seeing now just how crazy things are getting with regard to the lack of respect, the lack of you know respect for any type of authority, the crime, the drugs. There's so much that happens, I think, largely, again, as a result of there's there's multiple factors to this, but. One of them is the, the breakdown of the family. It's just, it's not good for society. It's not good for us as people. For sure. Yeah, it's well said. Like our culture has kind of moved slightly away from the traditional, super conservative, you know, modest perspective about sex. It's like, it's completely flipped it on its head where it's like, instead of, well, you don't have sex till you're married. It's like, nope, you have sex with all kinds of people. You watch, watch porn regularly. Oh, it's totally accepted. And I find that to be truly unfortunate. But yeah, I, I, I forget exactly what I was going to even ask. I lost my train of thought. But it's really, I guess, I guess the question I was getting to was what other, I guess, tips do you have for couples that are married? Like, do you feel like is counseling something they should go to? And I'm also curious, second question, when you work with couples, do you bring them both in together or do you kind of bring them in separately? I guess that's two questions that it kind of lead to two different ways, but my brain was thinking of too many things. Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think that the best thing that people can do is get help. I think people search for help right away. They're Googling stuff. So they're looking for articles, they're looking for podcasts. I think there's a lot of good resources and a lot of good information out there, which is great because when people get educated, that's how they can start to get hope and they start can start to take t steps to making some progress. I personally am a huge fan of like coaching and mentorship and counseling because 
instead of you having to figure it out on your own, you can just hire somebody who's walked this path a hundred times, who knows the pitfalls and says, focus on this, this, and this. And when you do that, then you're going to be in this place. Instead of having to, again, people, people get stuck for such a long time because they're trying to figure it out on their own. And I just feel like there's no need for that. You can just shortcut your success by getting the blueprint. It's like anything, right? I don't, Tony Robbins is a big, he was a big influence learning all about how he views things. And he says, the best thing that you can do is just model somebody who's already done it. Instead of you having to like slog through the next decade, trial and error, making all the mistakes. It's like, just find the guy or the girl who's done what you want to accomplish and just do what they did and you'll get the result. And so I just think counseling is such an important and helpful way for couples to not have to spin their wheels forever and lose hope and motivation. And some people just don't make it because they wait too long. And so, yeah, when I'm working with couples, I 100% bring them both in because both people need to learn how to interact with each other in a way to solve their problems. They need to learn how to communicate more effectively. They need to learn how to work through and express their needs and work through any blocks that come up with that. Yeah, there's so many cool things that you can do when you're working with both people because they're gonna, they go home together, right? So if you're living with your spouse and you don't know how to communicate with them, it makes more sense to me to have both people there. Sure. So you're, you're on the same page, you're not playing telephone, but you're actively working through things that are a priority to both of them, but you're doing it in a way that is finding resolution to the issues that they're having. Yeah, that's really well said. Yeah, like I, I that was my guess. I was just curious. And like I personally go to a counselor, I'd say every week or every other week personally. And I also go to a counselor for my relationship with my girlfriend she's probably going to be my wife i just i only met her less than a year ago and i don't want to jump the gun and i want to make sure i'm you know make sure we're compatible but honestly some people look at me like i'm kind of crazy because i go to counseling with her but it's like you know we got problems to solve we got to figure out if we're compatible we got to analyze our family traumas and see how we can learn more about each other and so yeah like I love that. I think that's huge, man. Honestly, like I, I am applying the same tools that I teach my couples. I don't know how people make it without this information. And I'm not saying that because I'm a counselor, but like being on this side of it and having spent so much time studying, I legitimately don't know how people make it without this. Because if you don't know how to communicate and if you don't know how to meet each other's needs, if you don't know how to solve challenges and work through stuff that comes up and family stuff and personal trauma like this just we're, we're complex as people and to try to figure it out on your own like of course people can be happy without going to formal counseling but if you can shortcut the process and get the tools that you need I, I think that's huge and i'm glad it's becoming more of a thing now whereas you know 10 years ago it wasn't as big of a thing but now i feel like people are more i don't know open to the idea that hey this is helpful and there's not some stigma around it which is great i, yeah. I think it's nobody stigmatizes going to the doctor for sure. And so it's like, hey, you know, your your body hurts, your leg hurts. You, of course, just like go see such and such doctor. But if you're like, I don't know how to communicate, it's like, oh, I can't tell anybody. It's like, cause that's weird because I, I don't know, I should be able to do this. And why can't I figure this out? Hey, there's just all that stuff that it doesn't need to be there. So I, I think it's great you're modeling that and for your listeners to know that it's helpful. You're getting value out of that. For sure. Yeah, like I find it, it's so funny. I sometimes tell people, yeah, I go to a counselor and they're like, wait, why do you go to a counselor? Why do you need to go to therapy? Like, and I'm like, my response is, in my opinion, everyone could use going to therapy. Everyone's got problems. Everyone has a complicated life. And I just happen to choose to be open and vulnerable about my life. And hence why I'm able to like get past some challenges and move to the next. Yes. (laughs) And I guess I have the advantage of just kind of sitting in my seat where I see people coming in who you would never think struggled with anything right on the outside, whether it's people that go to a church or people that are like prominent in the community or just like really genuinely good people in my seat, right? People will tell me everything that's going on and I can tell you everybody struggles with something like some of the most unlikely people. When I meet them, you just think like, Oh, they, they have everything figured out. But then like in a session with them, they're struggling with the same stuff that everybody else is, but you just would never know. And so, yeah, I just think there's just a lot of, uh, I don't know, uh, misunderstandings around this so that, you know, people often think, well, I'm the only one who's struggling with this, especially with pornography. It's like, well, I can't tell anybody because it's so embarrassing and I'm the only one who can't figure out how to stop. 
but really it's, you know, there's some, again, there's a really interesting study that they did. They were just uh, measuring how often does this happen? Like how many people do look this up? And it was over 95% of men had watched pornography within the last six months. And it was like over 90% within the last one month. Wow. Yeah. And so it's virtually, it's like almost everybody, but everybody thinks I'm the only one. I can't, I can't tell anybody about this because nobody else is dealing with this. But that's that's the furthest thing from the truth. This is such a common challenge that people are going through. And I think it just people more people talked about it, which is, I think, why this is great that you're doing this podcast and helping people know that this there's help available. The more people talk about it, the more it normalizes so that you can actually start to address it instead of hiding from it. Yeah, for sure, man. Yeah, it's I find it. I. I think there's different personality types. Like some people are slightly more open to opening up about their problems, traumas, etc. Maybe due to the family they were raised in, or maybe due to a few other factors. But from what I found is like, as soon as I open up and say, "Hey, yeah, I struggle with porn," like growing up, like the friend group, it's like it was a domino effect. It's like, oh, I struggle with porn, so do I, so do I, so do I, over and over yes. and over around the whole circle, and I was like. Ah, all it took was one person to just mention it. Yep. And I kind of like had a realization when I was like 17, like, hmm, maybe I should be the guy who brings this kind of topic up because most people don't. Most people are scared yeah. to bring it up. But like, look at everyone in the room. Everyone is struggling. And I find that to be – it's sad. Like it's a sad reality that everyone is kind of struggling. But it's also an optimistic view that like, well, there's a few of us that might be willing to help because there's a lot of people to help. And – there, yes. there is a path out of it. And yeah, it's, yeah, I agree. I mean, it's comforting to know that you're not the only one who struggles. Like that's, that's one of the, so Brene Brown's an author and she does a mm-hmm. lot of work around like shame and helping people understand that shame is a big part of what fuels addiction. She said, in order for shame to be there, it's to keep something to yourself have there be a lot of secrecy around it. Like that's the Petri dish, Petri dish that grows shame is secrecy, keeping it to yourself and thinking that you're, you're the only one. And so when you shine a light on that and say like, I'm struggling, like you said, that's such a cool story. Just like dominoes of me too, me too, me too. And it just helps to like, Oh, like we can actually talk about this now. We don't have to like beat around the bush or feel weird or think it's just me. So I I think it's great that you're opening up and letting people know that it's like, it's okay that people are struggling and so are everybody else. Sure. And I'm curious what you say to people, well, I, maybe you don't talk to people who say this, but I've reached out to ask people about this problem, like, you know, to learn more about the problem, etc. And I get a response from some people who are like, why are you worrying about porn? That is really not a big problem at all. Like, I don't know why you're focused on that. Like, I don't even see it as a problem. Like, I'm curious what you say to people like that. Or like, I'm sure there's tons of science. We talked about the Huberman and about how it destroys a relationship. But like, are they just wrong and not wanting to admit it? Or like, do you think some people truly are okay if they watch porn? Like, or are they just selling themselves a lie? Like, I'm curious why they say that. Yeah. I mean, I, I think for a lot of people, it doesn't interfere in their life to the degree that they say it's a problem, right? They watch it once a week, a few times a week, however often, but then they're like, they're functioning, they've got a job, like it doesn't affect them at work, it doesn't affect their relationships, like how would other people? So if they say, those are the kind of people who say like, what's the big deal, it's not a problem because for them it doesn't impact their life in the same degree that it does somebody else. I think in terms of just the, like what Dr. Andrew Huberman talks about, I just think these floods, these spikes of dopamine, he talks about how you don't wanna spike your dopamine all the time. You don't want these spikes because when he says that it crashes below baseline, basically what that means is it's like, okay, an an easy way to understand this is if somebody drinks alcohol and they get drunk off of one beer and then they drink a beer for a month and that is not going to do it anymore. So they need to drink two, Mm -hmm. right? Your baseline of what you need to achieve the same experience elevates. So the more it elevates, the more you need the, the substance or behavior to get the same release of those chemicals. And so he just cautions people to avoid spiking your dopamine because it facilitates that type of pattern. And also, again, it just leaves you feeling depleted. And for so many people, they lose. I just watched a YouTube video of him like two days ago. He talks about how 
the difference between men and women, and I'll have to go back and, and really understand specifically the, the, the study, but he said for women, if they, they describe, uh, like they had a survey where they surveyed women about masturbation and men about masturbation and describing the impact that it has. For women, they, they say that they report that it increases their well-being, it increases their mood, it increases their uh, ability to withstand stress. But he said for men, it's the opposite. He says it decreases motivation. It decreases their desire to find a partner. And like it's got these the, the downsides for men. Why that's the case, I don't actually know yet. I'm curious to know. But I, th- I just think for men, it, it, it's something that I think undercuts our motivation and our ability to pursue goals, to have meaningful lives. It's a substitute. It's just a way to distract ourselves. And so it's just, I, again, taking any morality out of it, because again, in my practice, I'm not, I don't talk about all these like spiritual things, even though I'm a spiritual person. Sure. My whole focus is like tools, strategy, science, mm-hmm. steps, blueprint. It's just in our brain chemistry. It's just not good to be spiking our dopamine. Great point. Yeah, I like that response. That's a, it's a great response that doesn't almost put you at a higher ground. Like, I don't want to be the guy who's yeah. like, I'm better than you because I don't watch. It's yeah. like, I want to give the strategies and the tips and the science behind why they might not want to. And yeah. Like another way to put this, I heard somebody say like, it's not, it doesn't watching pornography, masturbating, drinking, whatever. It doesn't make you a bad person. It's just bad for you. Mm -hmm. I thought that was a great way to put that because doing these things that people say like, Oh, it's natural. Like masturbating is natural. It's normal. Well, yes, it is natural to have those urges. It's natural for people to want to do that. Everything that's natural doesn't mean it's good for you. And so being aware of the impact that it has on your brain, impact it has in your life or your motivation or your relationship. So there's no, again, no judgment. I get it. I, I totally understand why somebody ha- you know, would want to do that. But the more you understand about the consequences and the downsides, the more I think people are becoming aware of that and they're trying to get away from that because they want to experience something better in their life. Yeah, well said. And I'm curious when you have men that come in, men and women, I guess, like sometimes do you feel like it's hard to sometimes get the ball rolling about in the vulnerability dimension? Or do you feel like you sometimes have to be vulnerable first for them to be vulnerable? Or do you normally just have luck of them? Well, they already got into the room. They're already there. They're willing to be vulnerable now. Like, what do you see? happening? Yeah, I think most people before they reach out for help, before you go to the therapist, like you're spending years, most people spend years on their own. Mm-hmm. And they're battling this and they're feeling horrible. And they're trying to the point where there's like, I, I had a guy, a guy call me uh, like three or four weeks ago, we had mm-hmm. our first session a couple weeks ago. And he's like, I have done everything I can possibly think of. And none of it's worked. So that's why I called you. Like, I don't know what else to do. I'm if you just tell me these are the steps, I will do whatever you tell me. I just have no idea where to turn anymore because everything I've tried hasn't worked. So I feel like people get to that point, then that's ultimately why they get professional help is just they've tried everything they can think of on their own and it just doesn't work. So yeah, most people are open and they're ready to go. Sure. And how long do you typically work with couples slash people? Like, is it is it an ongoing thing or is it like, well, once they're kind of solved, do they move on? Like, I'm just curious what, I guess yeah. it probably depends, but. It does depend, but my goal, so the traditional way of doing it will tell you it takes like three to four, three to five years. And lots of people in the 12-step community will say that that's just the timeline. And I remember when I was originally getting trained, it was in that style of doing counseling and therapy with people. I just thought like, okay, this takes a long time and that's fine. But after learning a different approach and learning that when you tackle the roots of this and remove the triggers and process through things on a, like a deeper inner level, people can have success. My, 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 uh, my coaching program is 12 weeks. Mm-hmm. So some people need a little, a little extra time and that's fine. But a lot of people within that 12 week span, they get the tools they need. They work through their triggers. They resolve the core reasons why they're turning to it. And then they move on and they're able to just keep refining things and making progress individually. But yeah, people can, can overcome this problem in such a shorter amount of time when you just like laser target the reason why it's happening and deal with it on that level. Sure. And this 12 week program, is that like a, a weekly meeting with a person or is that like twice a week or. Yep. So 
the way that I structure it is I have a curriculum. So they're going through little like bite-sized modules mm -hmm. and there's exercises to help them implement. And then once a week, we all hop on a call and I answer any questions. I customize all the, the material to their situation and just help them work through their triggers just on a one-on-one -on -one level. So they're not having to figure out how to apply the material on their own. Sure. You're saying it's a group call or a one-on-one -on -one where each... I've, it's both in the program. There's hmm. one. There's a one-on-one -on -one call, and then there's a small group. But everybody gets one-on-one -on -one attention. I see. Just to make sure they're yeah working through the stuff that they have. No, that's really good. Yeah, because yeah. yeah, I've just well, I've I've worked with people for free over the past few months of like one-on-ones and a few group group scenarios, and I've just been trying to tailor to see what works for people and what works for me and. Yeah, I don't mean to like disclose your secrets, but I was just No, I'm happy to share anything. Nothing secret. I yeah. think the more people understand how to do it, the more hope they feel and the more confident that they can feel like I can actually do this. So, yeah, that's that's ultimately my goal is help people resolve their triggers, deal with the core issue. Right? It's kind of like what you touched on earlier. If somebody's bored, okay, we want to solve for that. If somebody's feeling stressed and overwhelmed, we want to give them new coping mechanisms and tools to deal with that. If it's a sense of loneliness or fear or I think a big driver for a lot of guys that I work with is self-worth issues. They just feel like they're inadequate. They feel like they're failures or they're worthless. And so, again, the idea isn't to just push through triggers. It's to, it's to help build their confidence and start to break these beliefs that they have that are keeping them limited so that when you do that, they don't have to cope with inadequacy when they feel confident. Right? You don't have to cope with worthlessness when you feel your value. It's like it, the counter to whatever the challenge is, like that's the solve. And so the program, and it sounds like the work that you're doing as well, it's the same. It's helping people address things on that level so they can actually find freedom and feel better. I just want, I want people to feel better. And just addressing the, the core challenges that they're having helps them achieve that. For sure. Yeah, and I, what's interesting too is like when you like – Sometimes like a person might go through a program like this and then now they're able to be in the position of a helper to new people. It's like yeah. they – and to help is like one of the best ways to like continue to walk from an addiction yeah. in my opinion because it's like if you're a person who's now identifying as a person who broke it and now identifies as a person who explains to others that they broke it and that – it was a great idea for them to break it. Like that's just amazing positive reinforcement and uh, communal, uh, what's the right word, accountability that you now have with your peers and with your people. And so I just find that to be so cool that if you're willing to take the step and be honest with a counselor one-on-one -on -one and then take the strategies from the coaching and from the counseling and then if you're able to bring that into your relationship and into your friendships, it's like – you're just going to be a force for good and you're going to inspire so many people. And so I, I like yeah. being the, like I've been inspired by people and I like inspiring, but I also like trying to empower other people to be inspirers. If you know what I'm saying? Yes. I think we need that. I think it's exactly, I think it's, it's so exciting and inspiring and motivating when you see people making progress, like you make progress. Like I want to tell somebody else about this. Then they make progress. Then they want to tell other people. I think it's, yeah, for so so many issues it's the other way right it's like people get hurt feel people feel bad they do something bad then it makes somebody else mad i think it's the dominoes fall both ways and so yeah to be on the other side of that where you're helping uplift people it's cool to see the progress that people are making for sure and i guess let's say someone's listening who's on the fence they're like man i really do need some kind of counseling whether that be because their relationship is struggling whether that be because they're watching porn or just any other problem, like what, give a nudge to someone who's like, man, I'm really on the fence. I'm debating joining a program. I'm debating getting a counselor. Like, Oh, I just don't know. And like, what would be that final nudge you would give? I mean, for me, I don't see. So, okay, here's what I recommend for people. I recommend that you find somebody whose material resonates with you. So I'll, I'll give you an example. I was listening to a podcast by some, I don't know, he's like a business guy. And he's like, and he's so successful. Like he's, uh, I think his company's worth like $100 million. He's a recurring revenue, $100 million a year. He's like, I am such a good student. He's like, I am so coachable so that I'm listening and paying attention to people who have figured out the solution to a problem I'm having, whether it's in business, whether it's in my relationship, whether it's a parenting. 
So he listens to a bunch of different people. And then after he finds somebody who he really resonates with, he'll hire that person as a coach. And he's just like, tell me what to do. I will do whatever you say. Because he's already vetted that person. It's not just like you pull out Google and it's like, okay, who can help me? I'm going to look at, you know, better help, which, I, you know, that's a great resource for people sure. who just don't know where to go. But th there's so many podcasts now. There's so much stuff online. There's YouTube. There's like a million resources where you can find somebody. And then once you realize like this person understands my situation, it seems like they know what they're talking about. I've listened to a bunch of their stuff. Like I believe them. I think finding that person in whatever, you know, challenge of life you're having, when you hire that person as a coach and you just do what they say, it will massively shortcut the time that it takes to achieve that result. And so I don't know, I, I, it depends on somebody's, uh, I guess it, the other thing is it depends on what somebody values. Sure. It's either time or money. Mm -hmm. So is there a bunch of free resources on YouTube? Definitely. Oh, yeah. Like it, the information is not secret. But for you to customize it to your situation, for you to get real-time feedback, you can, you can grow so much faster when somebody just looks at your situation with you and says, you know, when I see guys struggling with this, this, and this, this is what really helps them. Try that. And you implement that and you get the result right away. It saves you like literally weeks, months, or years of figuring it out on your own. So I personally think like I, I would rather just hire somebody it doesn't even, and if somebody who's listening to this, like, don't you, don't, you don't have to hire me. I'm saying like in general, like coaching, I'm a huge fan of that because I've seen the growth personally when I hire mentors, when I join programs, like they just hand me, like, here's the blueprint, just do this. It's like, great, now I can get to work without wondering, am I doing this right? Or is this even going to work for me? I just think there's so much value in getting solutions. And I think the day and age we live in is like phenomenal that we have so much information and people who can help. Yeah, I, I just think <laughs> if you've got a challenge, there is a solution out there. And finding somebody who helps, who can help support you in that can help you get that result, which solves the problem, which, you know, resolves the pain that you're in. Sure. Yeah, it's well said. It's like you can either spend tons of time worrying about it or it's like you could pay a little bit of money and then all of a sudden your problem you have a blueprint on how to solve it. You have a mentor that's helping you along the way. And you also have skin in the game. It's like you've put down, yep. you've put down a deposit and investment on yourself. It's like you're going to be 10 times more serious than that YouTube video that was like, oh, that was kind of inspiring. Yes. And, and then the day later, you're like, well, it was just a video. <laughs> that's and then you that's so funny to say that. I, t I totally agree with that. So for me, my personal experience, again, I, I, I love hiring coaches and mentors. I remember about nine, no, it was, uh, like a year and a half ago. I started my podcast and I was like, I just want to, like, I've, I've got information I want people to learn about. And so I started a podcast and after three episodes, this was actually like two or three years ago, I quit after three episodes. I just got overwhelmed. I wasn't sure what to do. So it stayed on the shelf for, you know, another 18 months. So then a year and a half ago, you know, today, or like now it was a year and a half ago, I hired somebody, paid him a thousand dollars. I joined their course and he's just like, here's the blueprint. And the reality was I spent some time, I spent a lot of time, I went through most of the modules. The thing though that made the most difference was the fact that I gave the guy $1,000 and I committed myself that I was gonna do it. Exactly. And so just by, you know, just like deciding this is what it is, I'm investing this, I've got the tools, like it really helped give me that direction. But above all else, it was just like the decision and the commitment that I made. I think, you know, whether you're working on your marriage or working on you know, overcoming pornography or trying to develop new habits or going to the gym, if you just say, this is what I'm doing and I want somebody to support me in this, there's something that happens in the brain and like emotionally we lock in and it's, it's just easier for us to receive or achieve the results. Truly well said. It's, you know, some people who hear me say, or they're like, well, I don't really want to spend any money. Well, it's like, well, then it, yeah, it just depends on how much value you put into quitting porn. Like if quitting porn isn't that valuable to you, then yeah, you're not going to want to spend money. And yeah. A and B, I don't really want to work with someone who's not serious about and urgent about quitting. I want someone who's urgent, serious, and determined. And that's who I want to work yep. with. And that, it, like you said, it works as soon as they put that investment in, you know, there's no more excuses. It's like now, now if you fail, it's like, or if you quit, it's like, well, you spent money and now you're still in the same problem. That's like <laughs> double, triple whammy. Yes. Yeah. 
And most people don't want to do that. So yeah, I'm with you. I think you just like you commit to the process. That's why I just think there's so much value in finding somebody that you resonate with and just going all in because the likelihood of your success with something that does make sense to you, it dramatically increases. And then if you get stuck, that person's there to give you any like tailored feedback to your situation. For sure. So yeah, I just think there's a lot of value in that. Yeah. And I guess final question, like what would you say are some of your goals for the next year on a personal or B business wise with this whole consulting therapist business? So yeah, in terms of the work that I'm doing, I have transitioned to doing a lot more content creation. Mm. So I'm doing a ton of stuff on Instagram. Now I'm posting something every day and my goal is to make as much valuable information as I possibly can. Cause while I know that there's a, you know, there's a big need for this. Some people at the given moment, they don't have the resources for it either. So if I can give as much information, as many tools, like my, I have a podcast as well that I give away, like pretty much I give away everything. And by going through the process and just listening and getting tools that you can apply, like I just, I really want to grow my audience just so there's more people getting the tools that they need. And so I'm spending a ton of time just with the content, which is fun. I like doing it. And yeah, that's my biggest goal right now is just like building a library of resources where people can get the help they need. Dang, that's amazing. Yeah, I just looked it up. Episode 104. That's awesome. Yeah, it's fun. I really enjoy it. Yeah, I I totally agree. Like in the beginning, I didn't know what I was doing. I'm on episode. This is like going to be like 89, I think. So, you know, I'm just just continuing to go meet new people. And yeah, so. But yeah, man, I truly appreciate you coming on and I've learned a ton and I'm, I'm really glad we formed this relationship. I, yeah. I'm excited to keep hearing, you know, the content that you put out and I'm just excited to see where you go. And I saw one of your clips explode on TikTok, and I'm like, man, this is really cool. He's doing something amazing. He's impacting many people. And so serious props Thank to you. you. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. I love the work that you're doing. I think raising, raising awareness being vulnerable, letting people know about your own personal journey. I think it's inspiring. It really does help people feel like they're not alone. And I think that's a big part of what they need. So thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Well, have a great one. Thanks. You too.